Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Real estate attorney Mark Gravely, author of Reframing America's Infrastructure, talks candidly on the crisis facing the nation if we do not act now to upgrade everything from roads to buildings to the water, power, and communication systems that we depend on every day. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. Good evening, radio friends. It's Bruce Cook. It is the conversation tonight on Angels Radio AM 830 KLAA. Permit me to read some promotional material that refers to the guest and the topic that we'll be discussing uh, in just a few minutes. America will hit its 20, 250th year mark in 2026, reaching what some scholars list as the average lifespan of leading civilizations throughout history. A look into trends preceding the passing of the torch reveals the staggering impact infrastructure has on the success and the demise of nations. In the new book, Reframing America's Infrastructure, with a subtitle, A Ruins to Renaissance Playbook. Our guest tonight, author and attorney, Mark Gravely, illustrates the inspiring power of innovation in the chilling and the chilling risks of, na of this nation of inaction. Mark Gravely posts that robust investment in infrastructure foreshadows a powerful economy, even our national security, and our world leadership. Attorney Mark Gravely, live tonight from Texas. Join the radio show. Join the conversation. Hi, Mark. Good evening, Bruce. How are you? Doing well. I got you away from football for an hour. Well, you know, growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I was a Bengals fan, and these days I still kind of am. It's Hard not to believe in the magic of Joe Burrow. <laughs> well, you can have another radio on in the background if you want to know what's going on. But I got you now. And, the, and our audience also, this is really crucial stuff we're going to talk about tonight. Um, checking into your background, I understand that you are considered one of the very top attorneys in the nation in terms of, of um, infrastructure and and. Uh, real estate and whatnot, uh, named, I believe, named by U.S. News as the number one um, attorney of 2023 in your field. Uh, what you're bringing to this table tonight is a lot of expertise that I don't think people are really paying attention to. And I want to start by asking you, in the book, Reframing America's Infrastructure, you talk about, or you break the book down into three parts. Share with us what those parts are. Thanks, Bruce. Well, you know, you're right. It is critical uh, that there's a conversation that's ongoing here in the United States about our infrastructure. 
And the book uh, comes in three parts. One is a, a little bit of an infrastructure history of some civilizations uh, that have come before uh, us on the planet. It talks about the importance of infrastructure then. The second part talks about, with a lot of details, a lot of the things that are wrong with infrastructure here in the United States. And then the final part uh, are some solutions that includes listing uh, and some details on some visionaries that we should be listening to with regard to what comes next. I want to go through each one separately. Let's start with history. Share something that's in the book about a civilization that was absolutely blooming and died. What happened and why? Well, the first thing you have to understand is uh, infrastructure these days is uh, a lot larger of a category than it used to be. So infrastructure in the past means uh, getting water to people, uh, having uh, roads or pathways to travel on for commerce. And so one of the earliest earliest failures of infrastructure was with the empire of Mesopotamia um, with irrigation. You know, we've all, or a lot of us have learned in school about the Sumerian civilization, Mesopotamia, and the Fertile Crescent. Uh, I think maybe you can see in your mind's eye the, the lush green, uh, you know, floor there and the food that was easy to grow. Well, there came, there came a time when water wasn't so easy to get around because of changes in the weather. And so their infrastructure hadn't planned on the lack of a consistent water source. And so that's one example of, uh, of a civilization that failed in part because of the failure of their infrastructure and failure to plan. Let's, let's come full circle to 2023 U.S. of A. What about problems that we've had in the last year or two in terms of infrastructure items not relating to roads and, and bridges and buildings that we'll get to that later, but things like how about, how about the baby milk crisis? How about the egg crisis that we're dealing with? How about uh, arms crisis? How about immigration crisis? All these things tie in, I believe, to what you're talking about. Share. Well, and that's true, and, and, and thanks for the cues. I appreciate that. Uh, but there's an even bigger crisis that occurred just a couple of years back, and that is the, the grid and power crisis in the great state of Texas. So if you recall, the that's, power a, that's grid, quite, an e depend on, quite an example. Let's go with that. Thank you, thank you. We all depend on power these days. I mean, think about everyone that has a device. I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember... I mean, could you ever imagine uh, everybody carrying a phone around with them? Uh, I just saw the anniversary of Steve Jobs' announcement of the iPhone. How many years ago was it now? Was it 12 years ago? And so everybody has something they need powered. Uh, you know, I'm sitting uh, in my studio here in uh, Dallas, Texas, with uh, four monitors around me, uh, you know, a lamp, uh, two audio, uh, and a bunch of power equipment. None of this would be possible unless it has uh, power. I've got lights on. Uh, yes, the football playoff game is on, but that's in the other room. <laughs> and so if, if I didn't have power, I couldn't do any of this. Well, let's make it even more basic. In the cold snap that came a few years back uh, here in the state of Texas, people needed heat and people needed light. And there were pipe bursts all around, and there were you know, many catastrophes all around, especially in high and mid-rises. And people didn't have enough heat. There were some people that, that froze to death. And then there was the, the following controversy with regard to the cost of the electricity and was there price gouging going on and who's responsible. 
As a matter of fact, it was such a big debacle, there's still a huge lawsuit going on now that just made its way all the way to the Texas Supreme Court as to who should be responsible. And so a failure of infrastructure, some would say, uh, led to the, the surge and the problems with certain Texas citizens, citizens of the state of Texas, being able to get enough power and where it got supplied to and how it got supplied. So that's a, a great example that some would say is an example of the failure of infrastructure here in the modern society we live in. You bring up who's responsible. Well, we're going to talk more about that all through our time together because that's a big factor in your writing about who should be responsible, who will be responsible, who's going to fix these things. But let me also say, while you're sitting in your office in Dallas and you've got all those power items using electricity, your your electric bill is going to double or triple. That is also an infrastructure dilemma that our citizens in every state, in every place, are going to deal with as these months turn in bills that are astronomical for people. And, and millions of people won't be able to pay these bills. How do we deal with that? Well, the biggest problem there is accessibility and how we generate our power. You know, a lot of the power here in the United States is still generated by coal. And if you take a look at the statistics, there's nuclear, there's coal, there's increasing wind and increasing solar. But, you know, we've all got a real long way to go. Uh, electric cars uh, can be part of a solution to that. But, you know, at the same time, uh, in many aspects, the electric cars are powered by coal and the energy that comes from the burning of coal. That is, uh, so that is absolutely access, correct. That's correct. That's right. That's right. So access to energy uh, is a big deal. And equitable access to energy is a big deal because not everybody has access to energy uh, that's affordable. And so, you know, what the governments do is, that the various state and even federal government, is there's a, a patchwork of laws uh, within and uh, without of each state that help people get access to energy they can afford. Uh, and so affordable energy uh, is, a, is a really big deal because without it, our society fails to function. 100%. Recently, there was a um, pretty big news item, but it didn't last very long in our news cycle because murders and car crashes tend to uh, take over. Um, we may even get into that later in our, our time together, but there was a news item that Lawrence Livermore Radiation Laboratories in California, up in the northern part of the state, had a major scientific breakthrough in nuclear fission. Now, I don't know a lot about it, but I do know that that is a huge leap forward for mankind in order to power our entire world without the effects that we've all been just talking about, the, the negative effects. And also, the cost, uh, the, the cost benefit is potentially enormous. It received so little news attention but there, the, the fact that science can come up with these answers is truly the hope of the future, infrastructure-wise, society-wise, world peace-wise, whatever you want to call it. So I don't want to have our conversation be just totally negative and totally down. There are solutions out there. We just haven't gotten there yet. Do you know about this? Well, I do, uh, and I have a little familiarity with, uh, with some of what you're talking about. But, you know, for, 
for the foreseeable future, we're going to depend on coal. We're going to depend on wind and solar and nuclear. And it would be wonderful if there was a breakthrough. And, you know, so many times the press will blow something out of proportion. Uh, but the, the experiments you're talking about are occurring at a molecular level. And, uh, you know, there have been uh, incremental progress, uh, you know, across different fields for sure. But when the press reports it, a lot of times the, it seems that the person reporting it doesn't really understand where it fits in and gives it very little perspective. Well, that's certainly ac- so, that's certainly the- accurate, including my own perspective, because I don't know much about it. But I wanted to bring it up because there is hope. But let's get back to the second part of your three parts of the book. We've been talking a little bit about it in all of these different things. But what other issues, besides what we've been talking about, what would you say is the most crucial issue right now that we're facing in terms of this whole infrastructure question? Well, there's, there's actually two, and I'll have to break it down in two. One is, how do we maintain and grow the current infrastructure that we've got? Uh, you know, a lot of our infrastructure was built 50, 60 years ago, and uh, a lot of it just is not standing the test of time. If you'll recall, uh, the federal government spearheaded the uh, development and vision for the national highway system just after World War II. And so that highway system has been one of the keys to uh, America's great rise and, uh, you know, the, our ability to transfer goods from one place to another. Uh, it, the original thought for it was as an easy way for the military to get from coast to coast or from place to place. But what it's turned into is, is you know, this great experiment we call America has turned into a wonderfully booming economy in large part due to our highway system and our rail system. So maintaining those systems and keeping up with the growth uh, is of uh, epic importance. But the second big point that you touched on, and I I do thank you for bringing it up, is we have to be constantly experimenting and looking forward as to what's next. And that's that's something that has to happen. You know, the federal government drives a lot of it. Private industry can't do it because private industry so often needs a return on the dollar quickly for investors. And so, so often our federal government has led the big picture or the, you know, the huge leap forward. You may not know, but the, the, the Transcontinental Railroad, if I can, you know, harken back to that example, is really the first example of the government borrowing money, which was all paid back, by the way, for the first Transcontinental Railroad, and that's infrastructure. Along that Transcontinental Railroad ran a telegraph line that helped people communicate. Imagine that. You can make a call or at least communicate from New York to Los Angeles. Well, that's a novel notion. So that's what happened when the federal government decided we needed a transcontinental railroad. Uh, You know, one of the next big things that happened that the federal government led the charge on was the establishment of post offices all across the United States. And early on, post offices were, uh, were kind of a pertinent to airfields. And so when the federal government decreed and allotted money for and borrowed money in some circumstances to to construct a series of airfields all across the U.S., you know, things kicked up again. Think about that air travel. These days, I'll hop on a plane and fly to L.A., uh, you know, for uh, a show or uh, for a talk, and I take it for granted that I can get there in such a short time. Well, it used to be, uh, you know, it used to be a car ride. Now it's an, uh, an airline flight. Uh, and if I'm on a jet, it's it's a much shorter flight. 
What about a horse ride? So, well, I, you know, I didn't want to start that far back because uh, I don't know if enough of our listeners know what a horse is or uh, <laughs> horse riding is. Mark, let me uh, let me know. let me. Uh, we have to stop for our first break, but well, before we go, I want to leave it. Take it now to today. All of those things you mentioned, yes, I think we tend to take for granted because we've lived with them. We know how important they all are, but it's all changing. It's all changing. The post office is changing. How we use our highways is changing. How we use our airlines. The electronic world, the mass communication on computer. What is the government, and and maybe you can talk a bit about the Biden infrastructure bill that was passed, and how is that helping to take us to the next step to avoid the crisis that you are so very, very uh, intent on informing us about? Let's get into that in just a minute. we got to take our first break. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight on Angels Radio. My very special guest, attorney Mark Gravely from Texas. We will be right back. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Bruce Cook, the conversation live tonight on Angels Radio. Special guest, Mr. Mark Gravely, attorney and author. Before the break, I asked Mark to delve into the Biden bill of infrastructure and how it is designed or may not be designed to solve some of these potential crises in our infrastructure. Mark, take it away. Well, first, I've got to, I've got to remind you that, and your listeners, that a bill or something like akin to the Biden bill that got passed was pending in the prior administration, but politically it was never going to be, uh, it was just never going to go through. So thank goodness it was passed. Uh, and so I don't, I don't want to give uh, any certain president too much uh, credit one way or the other because I really try to be in the middle of the road. But I'll tell you, one of the great things about it is, is that uh, instead of the federal government dictating to the states how they spend the money and what they spend it on, a large portion of the money that gets transferred to the states to use uh, is, is uh, used at a county level. And so a county can pick what they use the money on. What their, what their most immediate needs are. So county commissioners, for example, in Bear County, Texas, let's give an example, that's where San Antonio is located. County commissioners there get to debate, elected officials get to talk about and take feedback uh, from citizens as to where they want the money spent. 
you know, whether uh, uh, the $500 million goes mostly to roads uh, or to perhaps some infrastructure programs, maybe uh, uh, equity projects. And so that's one of the one of the bigger features of this that I think makes it uh, so fantastic. Mark, explain explain why you think it's better that it goes to a county rather than to the state or overall to the nation. Why is it better to go to a specific county? I don't understand. Okay, well, remember, if you think back to the structure of America and how we were founded, each state, you know, we are really essentially a confederation or a unity of states, and each state has their own different set of laws. Most are pretty common. And so the federal government is only allowed to do so much uh, because the states have rights that are uh, stand apart from the federal government. And so the founders of the country knew that human nature never changes. They also knew that all politics is local. And so if somebody from D.C. who doesn't live, let's say, in uh, Los Angeles, who has no finger on the pulse of what's going on, uh, the choices that the people get to make with the money are choices of locale and of, of, of a smaller uh, in a smaller decision area, instead of somebody from D.C. dictating. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. Everyone gets to decide what they spend the money on. Uh, not all of it, but a, a very large portion of it. Doesn't that so, go against? Doesn't that go against what you just shared about how our nation began? About the federal government financing transcontinental railroad and and transcontinental communication and transcontinental highways. In other words. Well, in other words, it's. I think. I think that may be part of the problem. We don't. We're so disunified in everything. We know that. We know nobody agrees on anything. But you're an expert, so convince, well, convince, convince me. I've got to challenge you a little. Okay, convince me. I've got to challenge you a little bit. You know, the if you listen to the media, they will make you think people disagree on everything. But we all want a good economy. We all want uh, safe streets. You know, we all want low crime. Uh, uh, everybody wants a good opportunity for themselves. Most people want uh, just a chance to work, to make a great living, uh, and to have a slice of pizza and a beer with their buddies or their family. And so, uh, I don't think I don't think we can debate that much. But let's not confuse the two concepts of the early federal government and how things have evolved to be now. Uh, states, although states' rights has evolved, and I don't want to devolve too much into the federal versus state. Uh, the federal government's led the way, just like they're leading it now, with regard to states getting their apportionment of federal tax dollars. But one of the tweaks that's happened uh, uh, is that since local folks get to spend things how they want, or at least a good portion of them, that gives them more control, uh, and that's, that's less control for the federal government and more control and more attention to detail. Let me give you another example. Education. Education is local. There are smaller school districts that run themselves. Um, is that how things run in California? Does, uh, does Sacramento dictate what folks in California have to teach or how they teach? Pretty much. For public schools, okay. pretty much. I mean, there are, there are okay. some differences, but pretty much the state, the state is in charge. Local, okay. local well, school boards, yeah. of course, have their influence, but in terms of curriculum and whatnot, it's pretty pretty standardized okay and so my experience has been that there are certain uh on a state-by-state basis certain and not to get too deep into education but it's just an example of how things are run better at a local level so when a uh, a school board for example uh in la or uh in dallas texas uh 
knows how to handle uh, certain problems that only they are experiencing, whereas a neighboring district doesn't experience them. They're the ones that get to make their choices about their destiny. Uh, and so, and, and maybe that's a bad example. No, it's not a bad example. Uh, it it, a good, it's a it's a good example, and and it it also illustrates the differences between states' rights and 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 how governments are run. Uh, Texas is a very different place than California. In fact, a lot of Californians are moving to Texas because they want to be in that environment. Oh, I haven't heard that. Is that is that happening? Come on, you're joking, right? Yes, I'm joking. I hope I'm, I hope you are. Especially, <laughs> are you kidding? There's a there's an exodus. Goodness gracious! And you know something? We'll take every we'll take every Californian you got because there's uh, you know. Look, California is a wonderful place. Texas is booming, and uh, our country is better because we're all in the union together. Well, that's very nicely said. Um, let's move on and talk about the third aspect, and that is uh, <clears throat> opportunities and uh, and things that will advance society and help people live better lives. As a construction defects expert, let me delve into something else that uh, you bring up a lot in the book, and that is the pro- the proliferation of unit housing, condominiums, apartments, big buildings. That because single family homes, at least especially in California, are becoming scarce. Most people can't afford them. People that have them hold on to them, and generations of new people cannot afford them, they're moving into these buildings. You talk very pointedly about the fact that at a certain point, a lot of these people won't be able to afford the maintenance and the cost of them. And what will happen then? And where does government fit in in terms of infrastructure and protecting cities and towns that have these buildings that are aging? And uh, maybe I should start with that example that you bring up of that horrible building collapse in Miami uh, I guess it was about a year ago. Right, Surfside in Miami-Dade County. What happened? So, you know, we haven't so, heard anything. What happened? We haven't heard who's paying for things, what's happening to the survivors, who's 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 responsible for the building collapse. Right. I understood that it was basically brought on by the fact that the building was not maintained properly by its homeowner tenants. They couldn't afford to do the repairs, and they basically took a blind eye. Is that correct or not? Well, as, as with everything, you know, there's, there's uh, to quote the late, great Paul Harvey, uh, now here's the rest of the story. All right, I, so, give me the rest. Okay, well, let me, let me start from the beginning and, and how I know some of what I know. So my, uh, a, a large part of my professional career has been spent representing large building owners and institutions against general contractors design professionals, architects, and engineers for poor construction. And so I help my institutional clients recover cost of repair so that they, so that the maintenance costs are much lower than they would be otherwise, but also so that the contract for construction on a $300 million tower, um, so that the people get what they pay for. And typically, uh, the responsible parties have insurance that cover cost of repair. So let's start there. And so uh, the the horrible tragedy at Surfside in Miami-Dade was just an awful confluence of circumstances that in part was caused by poor construction originally. 
because you have to understand that the time element with all these uh, discussions of a defect in a building or a defect in a bridge uh, or defect in, in a condo or housing, all of it starts with original construction. And if something's not built correctly, not built to code, which is rules, we have rules and regulations on how people should design and build things. If it's not built properly, Bruce, it can never be maintained properly. Let me, let me interrupt you on that. Here in Los Angeles and Orange County, California, these buildings are going up faster than you can snap your fingers, and they all look like twig buildings of sticks of wood that could blow up, burn down, fall down in a second. Keep going. Well, <clears throat> it all starts with uh, a concept that we've developed called a post-construction quality audit. And I'm talking about an audit quarterbacked by lawyers who know what they're looking for with experts, qualified experts. So in the beginning, right after a building is finished, uh, maybe during the time it's being uh, uh, initially occupied, a construction quality audit has to be done. Because only then will you have a true baseline as to what's going on. Because I'll tell you, after the general contractor has built the place and moved on to the next project, they're not interested in coming back to fix everything. Yes, they'll talk about warranty repairs, and there's, you know, one-year warranty perhaps, and they'll come back and, you know, address some small things. But remember, if there's a big problem, they're not going to tell you, number one. And if there's a big problem, they're certainly not going to be able to afford to fix it because that means you're taking money out of the profits. And so that's why an independent construction quality audit has to be done. And, and are so these legit? Right are, Mark, are these legitimate? Is there graft? Is there corruption? What about the building in San Francisco that is tilting and possibly going to topple at one point? You know that story, I'm sure. Well, uh, I do. I'm familiar with it. And, you know, depending on the building, depending on, uh, you know, uh, who messed up, then somebody's got to pay. You know, uh, here, here in America, we like to talk about responsibility, right? People taking responsibility. Well, remember, it's the job... Uh, of of people who work for a company to build things, it's their job to make sure they do it right. And if they don't do it right, they have to be held responsible. And so talking about Surfside, there was a lawsuit uh, with regard to responsibility. There was a lawsuit, and the lawsuit included the security company that, that should have been patrolling the day of the collapse. And instead of clearing people out of the building once they knew something had to happen, there was a delay, is my understanding. And so that's one of the, one of the uh, uh, responsible parties that was sued in that, but that has nothing to do with defects or maintenance. Uh, there was also some allegations of lack of maintenance from the pool area and long-term water leakage, which, of course, it, everybody knows. You don't have to be an engineer to know that's not a good thing. But there's an investigation going on right now by the uh, federal government and the National Institutes of, uh, I think it's Safety and Standards, NIST, uh, and they will look for the root cause, and there'll be a report issued. Uh, it'll probably be later this year or next as to the root causes, but just such a horrible, horrible tragedy. It's my understanding also that the Miami-Dade uh, state prosecutor has opened up an investigation and has convened a grand jury. Uh, into an investigate into the the cause of the collapse and those responsible. But what about all the other buildings in Surfside and Miami and all along, along that coastal, uh, uh, excuse me, area, built about the same time? I'm sure they've 
been inspected carefully. But let me get back to what we started to talk about, and that that is the cost of maintenance for the homeowner in a condominium tower like that being unaffordable and who should be responsible? Part of what your book is about, how the government needs to be involved, perhaps, in the future through legislation in order to not have these huge buildings and towns of them fall down. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry to say that largely uh, the response has been uh, in, in Florida, let's pass a lot of laws to increase the cost of the unit owners instead of Let's figure out an easier way to hold the people responsible for the defects, uh, hold them responsible for the hundreds of millions of dollars they've been paid, and hold them responsible for uh, cost of repair. And that's what we're talking about here is cost of repair. And remember, as it's always been, the powerful will dominate the powerless. And that is true in every circumstance. And so the people that build these big things that make hundreds of millions of dollars they hire lobbyists, but the homeowners don't have a unified voice so often. And so, uh, you know, think about it. So what uh, is the message? What's the message then to people that are going to buy these kinds of homes and that have so, been buying them and that will be buying them as because so many people cannot have single-family residences? They're in towers. What is the message? Well, the message from the beginning is uh, if it's a newer building, See if you can recover cost of repair from people responsible. Otherwise, there needs to be an absolute disclosure of uh, all the issues. Uh, there needs to be disclosures of uh, maintenance issues, if any, and costs. You know, when you live in a, a condominium association or a, a, a community association, the board gets to do assessments. And what that means is the board gets to tax everybody to raise money to fix common elements. And there's nothing you could do about it. Um, you know, some would say it's taxation without representation, but, you know, buying into a condo regime uh, is, is something that you should only do after a thorough investigation of the quality of the common areas uh, and a, a complete vetting of the history of what the HOA board has done. But even that isn't enough, because in the case of the Surfside building, from what I have read, the board because most of the tenants were middle-class tenants and could not afford the cost of those repairs of the water leakage in the garage and the pool area, they didn't, ta they didn't, they didn't uh, demand uh, money from them. Anyway, I, I don't want to get too much into that. Well, but go ahead. Sure. Answer, I answer me. About all the, I really don't want to speculate about all the reasons. You know, a board has a duty to, uh, to its homeowners. And I don't want to speculate about all the reasons because I, th I really think it's unfair. But suffice it to say, uh, you know, they certainly wouldn't have done something knowingly that put everyone's life in jeopardy. Of course. Uh, and, that's, that's... You know, our, 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 our well wishes and prayers go out to the families of the, of, of the people who died in that horrible, horrible accident. But, you know, that shouldn't be something that happens uh, in 2022 or 2021, 2022 these days here in the United States of America you know, the greatest country on the planet. And that, that speaks to why you've written this book about infrastructure need. We've got to take our next break. Attorney Mark Gravely, author, great guest. Uh, stay with me for a couple minutes. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. It's The Conversation Live on Angels Radio. We will be back in about two minutes.
AMA 30. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News and World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. Welcome back, everyone. It's Bruce Cook. Conversation tonight, Angels Radio, special guest, Mark Gravely, attorney, author, Mark, let's switch gears a little bit, and I know that your practice as a as a uh, constructions defect attorney handles a lot of government properties where there are these kinds of defects, including public hospitals, uh, public buildings of all kinds, public schools, public housing. We are in cycles of weather destruction all across the country, different reasons, different topics from floods to tornadoes to rain in California this month to earthquakes, you name it. And a lot of these properties are damaged by these sorts of things. How does that play into what government infrastructure can help with or not help with? And as you say in in your book, most of these kinds of disasters tend to adversely affect the poor in much larger dimension. Right. Well, you, there's a lot to unpack there. So first and foremost, understand that construction defects, the, the, the universe of construction defects means a, a building system is not performing as it should. That is very different from failing to plan or a city or uh, you know municipality failing to plan for uh, floodwaters for a 50-year flood or a 100-year flood. And so, you know, catastrophes are catastrophes because nobody can plan for them. Uh, and so I think that there's, there's plenty to talk about with regard to non-functioning or poorly designed systems with regard to buildings that, that really bear the brunt of disasters when they happen. For example, uh, one of the most frequent things we see is uh, air conditioning systems that you know, we depend on to keep not only the heat and cool but to clean our air. We see those that don't function properly because they haven't been designed or installed properly. That, that is probably one of the most common issues is the air conditioning design. You know, a mechanical engineer has to design an air conditioning system, and there's components that are supplied by a manufacturer that have to meet a certain set of specifications. It's much more complicated than just walking into a building and turning a, a thermostat to 74. And so that's one of the big things we see. Another big issue we see is grading and drainage around buildings, uh, where it is planned properly, but the general contractor doesn't do a proper job of the grading and drainage and doesn't 
finish the project because it's typically grading and drainage is done at the end of a project. They don't do it as poor as per the civil engineers' uh, plans and specifications. So those are two big areas that we see, uh, especially on government, city, and state buildings that often go wrong. We've talked in the last 40 minutes about a lot of stuff, and what keeps coming up is that people are not doing their jobs. Is this new to America? Is this new to the world? Is this new to us? Uh, I think a lot of us experience this every day in, in, our, in our interactions with all kinds of people, from the clerk at a store to a plumber that comes to the house. The professionalism of America past seems to have evaporated somewhat, and maybe that's part of the cause of all of this malaise. Yes? No? Am I being well, too no, dramatic? No, I disagree. No, yeah, no, yeah, I think that's, uh, uh, well, are you a member of the press trying to sensationalize things, Bruce? <laughs> no, I really, I am <laughs> I am a, a slimy member just, of the press, but seriously. Well, I'm just po- I'm poking a little fun at you. No, you can. So, you know, you, are, is, you can say whatever well, you like, but I'm telling you, I, I don't know. I think that uh, people don't do their jobs very well anymore all across the board, and sometimes that includes me. So go ahead. Well, and let me start off by saying this. Uh, nobody sets out to screw up a project. Okay, nobody sets out to screw something up, but people are negligent. They fail to use the care they should, they should use, and you just described that in layman's terms. They're just not doing their job. And so that's when people like me get a call when someone doesn't do their job. You know, I was... About an hour ago, there was, uh, the, during the, the Bengals Chiefs football game, which is tied, by the way, 20 all now, I think. Uh, thank you for that a, sports uh, report. We are a sports station. We thank are you. a sports station. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but one of the coaches was, was uh, talking to his uh, offensive line, and he said, everybody just do your job. Do your job. And so – uh, you're absolutely right with the topic you brought up. Everybody just needs to do their job. But you know something? That takes time and it takes care. And uh, sometimes you got to work through lunch. Sometimes you got to show up to work early. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that's happening here that a lot of folks don't want to talk about, and that we are suffering from a lack of skilled craftsmen. And that's just that's just it, 100%. Some of the most skilled craftsmen I've seen in my life living here in Texas and practicing and having cases all over. Some of the most skilled craftsmen I've ever seen uh, come from Mexico to work, and thank goodness. And uh, they work, and they do great work, uh, and um, sometimes they stay, sometimes they go back, but there's not enough skilled laborers and people who actually put bricks together to do all the work. And that that should scare you, and that should scare everybody. That, my friend, is what I meant to say. We do not have skilled people because people, I think our country's gotten lazy. And I think people may not, as you said, they don't maybe intend to cause a problem and fail at something, but they don't do the job because they, as you, as you said, they haven't had the training and they don't have the passion for it and they aren't willing to put in the time and the study and the practice and the commitment. That's missing. So I don't know how we fix all these problems with infrastructure that are in front of us. You better you better come up with some brilliant things to close out our time together because I'm starting to feel worried. Well, you know, Bruce, I'm glad you're worried because that means you're paying attention and that means you'll talk about it more. And uh, maybe some of the folks who help run our, our states and governments will pay more attention. Um, and one of the things that I need to point out, a lot of the errors that we see 
are architectural or engineering errors. So they're not craftsmanship. It's poor planning. It's a failure to live up to their contract. And that speaks of greed. Because what happens is, is architects or engineers will uh, make an agreement and then not put the time in that really needs to be put in to do their job right. Uh, for example, uh, an engineer may use a cut and paste of a plan from another project so they don't have to do all the work again, uh, which is fine by and large, but they're, every project's different. And so you need to understand that a lot of the, the things that we deal with in my profession are errors of design professionals, architects and engineers. Uh, and so that's something important. I mean, these people, some have PhDs, uh, you know, from well-known universities. Uh, and they, they deny, deny, deny that they've done anything wrong uh, until we reach trial, and then they typically settle the case. Uh, and so, um, you know, what can be done? Where do we go from here, Bruce? What's the answer? That's what you're for on the radio. I ask the questions. You have to give me the answer because the public is suffering. Well, I'll tell you the answer. The public is suffering. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is we need to celebrate our victories together, of which there are many. When a new place opens, when a new community place opens, when a new city hall opens, we come together as citizens of where we live, we look at each other, and you know we hug each other, and we, we talk about how lucky we are to live where we live with the system that we have. And we keep a vigilant eye uh, as to what happens next, and when there is something that happens, somebody has to take responsibility. That's all we can do, Bruce, because that's all we've ever been able to do, is to make sure the responsibility gets put where it goes. Now, that doesn't always mean that there'll be enough money to recover those costs of repair. But if everybody does their job, including those HOA boards you're talking about, right, get that, get that construction quality audit done with a lawyer and an expert who has an expert or a team of experts that knows what they're doing, do your job, HOA board. Uh, local government, when you get that money from the wonderful federal infrastructure bill to make your community better, make sure the people you hire take their time. If they don't, put the responsibility where it goes because that's what they were paid for. That's the beautiful system of market economics that we all here live here and, and benefit from, Bruce. And so those are the answers. We all have to be vigilant. We all have to do exactly what the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals was telling his defensive line. Do Everybody your job. Do your job. And that do your job. That's that right. That includes us. Do our job. Mark, i got to take a quick third break, and then we'll wrap this up with some final thoughts. We'll be right back. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash spine health. Oh, I just wanna pop and look to my records. They go all of my clothes. 
Welcome back, everyone. Bruce Cook, The Conversation, live, Angels Radio. We're wrapping up an hour with Mark Gravely, attorney and author. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, asking him all of these questions, some of which I think I've insulted him with, but I think he'll survive, and uh, perhaps I will too. His book, Reframing America's Infrastructure, A Rules, A Ruins to Renaissance Playbook by attorney Mark Gravely, in Texas tonight. Mark, how do we get this book? Bruce, you know, I thought you'd never ask. You can uh, get it at Amazon, online Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and that's how you do it. It's point and click, easy to get. How's it doing? Uh, it's doing great. It's been a bestseller in four categories on Amazon. And, uh, you know, the response has been, uh, frankly, overwhelming. Uh, uh, I gave a, a talk at the Mensa annual conference last year about the book uh, to a great reception, and it's it's been a real blast. I'm, I'm happy I did the book. So everybody understood you at the Mensa conference? Well, I've got a funny story to tell you about that. So it, that was in Houston. I live in Dallas. And so I get back from the, the Mensa, uh, you know, talk, and, you know, everybody's so smart there. It's pretty over, overwhelming and intimidating. And I get back, and I walk in with my badge, and it said Mensa speaker. And I and I look at my wife, and I said, "Hey, honey, I'm home. Here's my badge." She says, "Yes, I noticed it says speaker and not member." <laughs> okay. Well, what did your wife say? Well, that's what she said. She reminded me that I was a speaker at Mensa and oh. not a member of Mensa. Well, there you go. You've been put in your place. Although I, I have a feeling you might be a member of that Mensa crowd, too. Listen, it was really great sharing this information with the audience uh, tonight in Los Angeles, Orange County, here in, in Southern California. Uh, wish you great success on the book. Uh, we've got to get going, and you've got to get back to your TV in the other room and see what's happening in your game. All the best to you, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Bruce. See you next time. Bye yeah, bye. very good. Ladies and gentlemen, we're almost out of time. I just want to thank you for sharing your time with us tonight, listening to Mark. Hope you learned something. If you're about to buy a condo in a building or a in a, uh, a residential tower, check everything out because uh, we all have to be responsible for everything that happens to us, don't we? Part of the rule of life. Listen, have a healthy week. Come back again at 6 o'clock next Sunday for the conversation with me, Bruce Cook. Take care, everybody. Make the best of everything, and good night. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.